0: Before we get started with today's episode, we just wanted to let you know that if you are interested in trying audiobooks or have been eyeing an Audible membership, you can get two free audiobooks when you sign up for a free trial at bookriot.com audible. Most free trial offers for Audible only give you one download with your 30-day trial, but we're giving you two. Audiobooks are a great way to work more reading into your life, whether it's during your commute, while you're cooking, while you're at the gym, or whatever. So go to bookriot.com audible to sign up for your free trial and get two free audiobooks you're listening to all the books a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases this is episode 197 and today we are talking about books being released on february 26, 2019 and more i'm liberty hardy here with vanessa diaz and we're coming to you from bookriot.com hello Hi. Welcome to All the Books. Thanks, Lynn. So, uh, for our listeners that are not familiar with what you do for Book Riot, could you just tell us a little bit about what you do?
1: Absolutely. So, I'm a contributing editor. I edit both the In the Club and Audiobooks newsletter, so some of you will know me from there. I also do um, the Read Harder podcast for all of our insiders with Tears of Price, and I'm also on our YouTube channel every Friday. Awesome.
0: I can't even record a podcast without getting nervous. I can't even imagine making a video. Not that I'm trying to make you nervous now. Please don't get a complex. I just, you know, I I, are like, you want to do YouTube? I was like, no, I really, I don't. I can't (laughs) even sit in a room by myself, you know, talking to somebody through a microphone without breaking out in a sweat. So
1: it's just uh, really, really weird the first time you do it and was not something I'd ever like aspired to per se. And even though it's just you in your room, like, recording, (laughs) the nerves kick in every single time. It's kind of silly, but I don't know. I'm getting over it.
0: (laughs) Well, that's good. I, like, I've had a fear of speaking, like, in public for a very long time, and recently I sort of beat that. Because I I went to an interview, I interviewed Madeline Miller, I think, and I was so nervous. And I was like, this is supposed to be fun. You're doing this for fun. (laughs) And it kind of, like, calmed me down. And since then, I've done a few more, and I've been like, I'm no longer nervous. And yet, every week in my office, I'm like, uh,
1: I don't know why. <laughs> a part of it like, never seems to go away. And, I mean, that's just, I don't know. I, I always take it as the nerves are a good sign thing. I, yeah, who the hell knows?
0: <laughs> oh, so we're going to talk about books today. Yeah. You know, for a change. Um, <laughs> I actually uh, spent my day yesterday weeding books out of my stacks. Uh, I moved into this house five years ago and have not done a poll since then, and so I pulled 1,700 books out of my stacks to donate to bookstores and nursing homes and libraries, and now I wish I was dead, because I carried 1,700 books downstairs. I don't know what I was thinking. I'm just like, I legit Ugh. thought
1: this was... I thought this was hyperbole, and then I saw the actual stacks of books on your Instagram, I was like, holy moly. I cannot
0: believe you had
1: that many books.
0: Oh, I still have 3,000 left. (laughs) I believe it.
1: I believe it wholeheartedly. It's
0: crazy. (laughs) Yeah. So I just, I realized that I love books and I would love to have like the biggest library that I possibly could have, but I fell into my old habit of keeping every book that I read and it's just not sustainable in my house. And also I'm just, probably not going to ever read most of them again so I want to pass them along and give them to other people and they can enjoy them and have fun um I'm kind of just like amazed at how I let it
1: go for so long and my
0: boyfriend never goes upstairs like it's just like my library upstairs like both rooms are just filled with books so he never goes up there and so I brought all these down and he was just looking at me like what I was like oh this isn't
1: even this isn't even like all of them like this is just a small part (laughs) It's like oh, that it's... purse from harry potter that like stuff just keeps coming out of yeah so where did these books come
0: from <laughs> yeah i have the mary
1: poppins attic. yep
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh. well hey you got your workout in i did yeah uh so i'm gonna talk about some books that are coming out today now cool. I, mean, I was like i was so in the zone yesterday i was so happy looking at. i was like i love this book and i love this book i like, can't wait to talk okay. about more books so i am okay. gonna kick it off with the priory of the orange tree by samantha shannon I loved this book. Uh, she wrote the Bone Season books. There's, I think, three of them so far. There's supposed to be seven. I love that series. This is a uh, standalone-ish for now, and I'm not really sure how to talk about it because I haven't, I don't think I've talked about a book that is this big before on the show. It's over 800 pages long. Mm-hmm. So, it's like, how how much of this do you discuss? Because I don't want to, <laughs> like, I could tell you about 400 things that happened in this book, and I still would only be like 200 pages into it, you know? Like, is that Ooh. like the beginning, you know? So, <laughs> I just want to tell you a little bit about the beginning, and kind of set it up, and then just, you'll have to trust me that it's worth it, because wow, is it ever. Um, I'm not going to compare it to Game of Thrones, but it's exactly like the giant, fully realized fantasy novel that... I've been waiting for for years. I just, I love it. Mm. So the, there's a queen. Her name is, I don't, also, I don't know how to say any of these names. And unfortunately, <laughs> they're made up names, so I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce them. So we're just going to have to go with this. Uh, there's a queen. Her name is Sabin. And she's Queen Sabin the Ninth. She rules over Innis. And she, there, her family has ruled it for a thousand years. And the kind of rule is, as long as she has a daughter, the realm is safe. She comes from a long line of queens that have had daughters. And this reason is that a thousand years ago, a very mean dragon came up from out of the earth, out of the molten lava, and sort of laid waste to a lot of the country. And he was defeated. And the prophecy says that as long as her family sits on the throne and has a daughter, uh, they'll be safe from the dragon returning. He's called the Nameless One. But there is this sect, there are people in other parts of the lands who worship the Nameless One. They kind of want chaos and they want destruction to return to the lands. And they have been sending assassins to kill Queen Sabin because she hasn't had a daughter yet, and the line will end and the dragon, you know, the Nameless One will, will supposedly return. Um, the, other, the other thing is that she keeps turning down suitors. She's like, mm, no, not good enough, not good enough. She's not interested. Uh, so it's kind of making her council nervous because assassins keep showing up at her door and and not succeeding which i'll get to in a second um and she still doesn't but like what if they do like she doesn't have an heir and here come here comes the big mean bad so um there's a lady in her court uh her name is it's spelled e-a-d so i'm gonna go with ead but i don't know actually how to say it um she has secretly been sent to uh the innis court to protect queen sabin uh she uses forbidden magic uh from that she learned from her people uh, she It sort of sets up a spell so she can detect when the assassins are getting close to her room or getting close to the castle. And she goes in, she takes care of them, and nobody knows that she's the person doing this. Um, and if she's found out uh, using this magic, she faces death because it's, it's forbidden in their lands. Um, and then across the sea, there's a young woman named Tane. I'm, again, not sure how you say it. And uh, she has just become a dragon rider because uh, there are good dragons, too. Um, and they talk, and it's awesome. And there's these two gentlemen who have been secretly whisked away from Innis to become spies in a different land. There's a stranger who is washed up on this little locked island uh, with a mission to, and it's a secret mission, and he is putting those who would hide him in mortal danger, but there are some people who want to help him. Um, There's just so much going on. There is, in fact, an orange tree. It's just amazing. Um, I'm going to stop babbling about it, but it's... You know like I guess it's over 800 pages I thought it went by really fast I really really enjoyed it I would love to see a series of this it's The Priory of the Orange Tree by Samantha Shannon
1: that uh, that was one that I wanted to steal from you but I hadn't actually seen the book yet and then it arrived at the bookstore and I was like oh that is that is big <laughs> that is, it sounds like it's, it's awesome. fantastic so <laughs> that's cool Um, Well, my next pick is, like, weirdly in the same camp in a lot of ways. It's also a fantasy. Um, It's called The Raven Tower by Anne Leckie. Uh, Definitely another book where uh, the names are all completely made up and a little bit interesting at times, so my pronunciation on these is only validated by the fact that I listened to part of this on audio, or I would have been hopeless. (laughs) Um, So, and again, this is one that's, like, super weird to describe. Um, So Anne Leckie... She, I've been wanting to read her for a while. She wrote The uh, Provenance, Ancillary Justice. She's a winner of like all of the awards. Hugo, uh, sorry, Hugo, Nebula, the Arthur C. Clarke Award. And so in this, uh, what I believe is a standalone, the primary setting is this kingdom called Iriden where for centuries two gods have sort of reigned supreme. Uh, one is the god of the silent forest who sort of protects the land, and the other is a god called the Raven. The raven's not actually a raven, um, but the raven does... Plot twist! Yeah, <laughs> this, this is where things get sticky. Okay, so the raven does have... It, like, speaks through a live bird um, that I imagine is a raven. and <laughs> They call it the instrument. So that took some getting used to um, in the audio version. But so the, the instrument sort of communicates the raven's will in the land, and the land is ruled by a human sort of proxy that's called the raven's lease. Um, and lease because the way that this person gets their power is that they promise that at the end, when the, the instrument, you know, the bird dies, that they too will sacrifice their life, which in turn gives power to the raven. So what you would kind of think of as like a king figure is referred to as the king's lease. And then the raven itself, again, speaks through this bird called the instrument. So at the beginning of the book, we meet this guy named Mawat, who is on his way to Iridan because his father is the lease. And it's pretty much well known across the land that the bird, the instrument, is like in its final days. So like any day now, his dad is going to have to sacrifice his life. And then Mawat, who is the heir, will then assume... Uh, they don't call it the throne; they call it the bench. So hit <laughs> <laughs> the bench, which I just think is awesome. Makes uh, me think of good place, exactly. <laughs> so him and this advisor named Yolo are headed to Iriden, and they get there, and they're thinking, "Okay, great. Like, we're gonna go see the dad, and we're gonna work this out, and he's gonna take his place on the bench." And great, but when they get there, they discover that the father, the lease, is nowhere to be found. Everyone on this sort of royal counselor. um, group of councils is telling him that the father fled, therefore kind of breaking with tradition and throwing everything into chaos. And that, um, in the meantime, the raven who has since died, you know, the instrument did, however, appoint the king's brother to the throne, this guy named Hebal. And then of course, everything here just is not, not right. Not cool. <laughs> Mawat is like, no, you're, you know, you're a usurper. I'm supposed to have assumed the bench and it's very clear from the expressions on everybody's faces and stuff that like something isn't quite adding up here, but there's really nothing anybody can do because according to the way that the law is supposed to work, if Heball was not meant to assume to the bench, then the Raven would have like struck him dead. So everybody's like, well, it may not be cool and we don't like it, but this is kind of just like how it has to be. This sounds, of course is familiar. Yeah, a little bit, right? Sounds so there's a lot of different influences here that you can <laughs> probably see. Um and that's kind of when craziness ensues. Mawat obviously has like a plan that he you know, he wants to figure out what happened to his dad and he wants to take his rightful place on this bench. Um Ayolo is a really interesting character. His um his advisor because he is I mean, without obviously them using any kind of direct language, uh, is a was biologically born a woman, but um, present. He is a man. He 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 lives his life as a man, and I appreciated that the way that the book treated that is that they never tried to like refer to him as a woman. Like all these different characters, and what feels like it's set somewhere in like the I don't know 15, 1600s, even though it's like a fake world, uh, just sort of accepts, ac- accepts this to be the case. Now the other fun part about this is that it's being narrated by. You know, someone you don't, you can't really quite figure out the beginning who, who is kind of going back and forth between telling you a story that seems to have started at the dawn of time and then going back to this, you know, current narrative. And so you're like two, three chapters in, and it kind of like sort of starts to dawn on you that this narrator is for sure a talking rock that is also maybe a god. Who knows? Kind of, sort of. And so the closer you get, both of these timelines sort of start to mash together, and you realize that there is. This really kind of interesting and creepy subplot to, like, what's going on and that explains, obviously, in the end, like, what happens. It is such a funky world. Like I said, lots of interesting characters. The world building is really great. Uh, I love that it was able to accomplish all of this and what, again, I believe is a standalone. And I don't know, most of the fantasy that I feel like accomplishes this kind of scope is usually much longer. It's not. It's only, I think, like, three, 400 pages um, but it's it's really, really, really interesting. There's a lot of interesting commentary on, like, creation myth and on, like, why we, you know, we and or anyone prays to gods and what we manifest for ourselves when we don't hear the voices of the gods that we think. It, it's, there's just so much here. It's really, really great. Um, plus, again, just some great, like, diversity and, and inclusionary stuff. So, yeah, that is The Raven Tower by Anne Leckie. So,
0: Vanessa, I'm going to tell you about our first sponsor, but... I want to ask you something again, uh, or not again, but I want to ask you something. Did you say one of the characters is named Yolo? It's
1: <laughs> it's E O L O, but yeah. Huh. Okay. <laughs> That's
0: oh, and funny. really
1: quickly, I do have one more note on this, just as a sidebar that I in we'll call this Vanessa's audiobook corner. I um. I'm always kind of weird about doing audio fiction because sometimes I feel like it can get really weird to keep it all straight. This is definitely one. I mean, go, go with God if you decide to do the audio, but because these names are so made up and weird, it can get really hard to keep track of it on audio. Cause some of the stuff you're like, am I just not hearing that right? Or did she say YOLO, which is exactly <laughs> what I did. Um, and there's also a lot of accents like, and they're not, um, I guess because it's a made up world, maybe they're just trying to be, again, really inclusionary where one dude clearly sounds Scottish, someone else sounds British, someone else maybe sounds Nigerian, and then like another guy kind of sounds Transylvanian. It's, it's really interesting, but a little bit distracting. So just kind of figure that out before you decide to do this on audio. All
0: um, right. Hila. So I'm going to tell you now about, uh, our next sponsor, It is Blinkist. They are back. They were here last week. Uh, If you are like me and you read as much as you can, but you feel like you have so many books that you want to read, uh, Blinkist is trying to help out people who have those feelings. Um, There are so many great nonfiction books out there uh, that you just don't have time to get to. So Blinkist is the only app that condenses thousands of nonfiction books into the best key takeaways and need-to-know information. So you can read or listen to them in just 15 minutes. They give you like all the basic points. Kind of like crib notes. Uh, 8 million people are using Blinkist right now. And it has a massive and growing library. There's self-help books, business books, health books, history books. Um, I'm considering checking it out because... Uh, like there are some business books that I'm like, I don't want to read a business book and I know that there are great business books out there, but it's not really what I'm into but I, there's been some really famous ones that I would like to like get the gist of but you know don't want to actually sit down and read. So I might check some of those out. They have so many titles. Uh, they have the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, How to Win Friends and Influence People. I've always wanted to check that one out because like so many people read it and it's so old and people still use it today and say like this still works. Um, they have the 4-Hour week, they have the new Michelle Obama book, The Coming, uh, Start With Why, and there's also some great history books like A Brief History of Time, Freakonomics, uh, Leonardo da Vinci biography, if you've seen that, that's like a zillion pages, um, uh, Sapiens, so it just looks like a lot of fun. So you can go to Blinkist.com slash all the books, that's B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, dot com slash all the books to start a free seven day trial. That's a that's a special offer just for all the books listeners. So that's com slash all the books, B-L-I-N-K-I-S T dot com slash all the books for a free seven-day trial. And we thank them for sponsoring. So uh, where are my notes? I lost my notes. Oh they're there. Okay. So my next pick is actually one that came out a couple weeks ago. Um, I didn't get a chance to talk about it. I didn't read it until after it came out, and I just, or I did read it before it came out, but I only put it in the newsletter. And I want to talk about it because I just keep thinking about it. I loved it so much. It's called American Spy, and it's by Lauren Wilkinson. Uh, it's an espionage sort of novel. Um, it's based on real events, it goes back and forth throughout time. The main character is named Marie Mitchell. Uh, in the very beginning, someone has broken into her house, and we don't know why. Um, but then it goes back into time, and she grew up. In Harlem with her father and her sister. Um, her mother left them when they were young. Her father is kind of very hard on them, especially on her older sister, and her sister wants to be a spy. Uh, her father has a, is a cop and he has a friend who works for the FBI and she's really into what he's doing and decides she's going to be a spy. But she joins up with the military um, when, when she, like, is of age and her father is furious, but she just wants to get out of there and she wants to join the CIA and travel around the world and do all this stuff. Um, but unfortunately, shortly after she leaves, she dies. And Marie kind of takes up her dream. And Marie joins the FBI. And so now it's 1986, it's the height of the Cold War. Marie works for the FBI. She is a woman of color, and it's not, like I said, it's 1986, so all of her coworkers are basically white men. They're uh, rude to her. She's, she's hardly ever used... Like, they give her, like, really boring, mundane tasks. Uh, she's treated badly. She's just very unappreciated there. And she's recruited by the CIA. They come to her, and they say, you know, we have this target that we think that you can get close to. She's been recruited by the CIA. They think that she's perfect to get close to their target because uh, he's in West Africa, and she is a beautiful African-American woman, so all of a sudden, like, they find her to be useful, which is just awful. This, uh, and like she knows, like something shady is going on with with this deal, but she's kind of interested in what's happening because the man who referred her for this job is her sister's boyfriend, and she wants to get to know him because she did not know him before her sister died. Uh, so she, they tell her that they want her to get close to Thomas Sankara, who is uh, a leader, the leader of uh, Burkina Faso. He's taken it over. He's uh, got communist leanings and. He's, the Americans are like, oh, well, communism has to go, so they're trying to uh, put someone in power to overthrow him, like, secretly, like, uh, uh, excuse me, I'm losing my words here, to secretly endorse an opponent for him, Um, and they want, when I say they want her to get close to him, like, they want her to take him to bed, Um, and so she secretly admires him, like, he's done amazing things for the country, like, people... Are learning to read, and there's water, and there's jobs, and there's all the stuff. But she doesn't know what to do because this is her job. Like she's supposed to sort of intervene without being known, and she doesn't know what she's going to do. Like as she gets closer to him, she has to decide: like is she going to go through with what she's supposed to do? Um, it's a spy novel, but it's also a family drama, and it's also a voice that we don't hear from in novels. Like there are not a lot of spy novels with women of color. And it's just, it's so, so good. I would love more books like this. So again, it is called American Spy, and it is by Lauren Wilkinson.
1: I'm going to need to read that, because I agree, you don't see women of color in this type of book, and that sounds awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, my next pick is one that I really love and that also came out, uh, I think, last week on the 19th. And it's called The Good Immigrant, 26 Writers Reflect on America, edited by Nikesh Shukla and uh, Shimene Soleiman, I believe. I hope I did not mispronounce that. This book, guys, uh, I've been waiting for it for a long time. I've had the galley. I was kind of uh, attacking it sort of piecemeal, like reading one essay here and there. It uh, was originally a British collection. So there is a British version. It's the original it was also, I believe, edited by Nikesh Shukla. And it was, you know, just this, like, list, I think, of 30, maybe, British writers um, all of color who were all either first or second generation immigrants talking about, yeah, that concept that exists so much of what a good versus a bad immigrant is in this, like, increasingly divided society that, you know, obviously is just as bit true here in the States as it is in Britain. So... This collection is of 26 writers. The names on here feature everyone from Alexander Chi, Daniel Jose Older, Danny Fernandez, uh, Jenny Zhang, Hari Kondabolu, I believe, Uh, just so many great names. And of course, like, you know, the title would suggest, they all just sort of talk about what their experience has been living in America as either a first or second generation immigrant. Alexander Chi's story is one of my faves, but I definitely, just as a Latinx woman really gravitated towards the stories by Daniel Jose Older and Danny Fernandez that literally had me weeping in the middle of my lunch, like a public restaurant two days ago. Um, just cause they talk about what it is to feel, you know, divided and othered in one space because you're too light skinned for a Latina or, you know, cause your Spanish is weird or like wanting to separate yourself from your Spanish and your cult, your culture and your language really, um, to fit in into these spaces, even though, you know, your parents are... Well, your parents could be doing one of two things. They could be wanting you to keep those pieces of your culture. Or there's other of us that had an experience where our parents wanted us to, you know, sort of assimilate to help our experience hopefully be better than the ones that they went through. It's just... It's smart. It's really impassioned. It's obviously very relevant right now. And like I said, it brought me to tears randomly just because I like, felt so connected to these particular pieces. And I think everybody, um, it's just an important thing to, to read and to understand more about that other thing that is just so frustrating right now with this really hot topic. So that is The Good Immigrant, 26 Writers Reflect on America, edited by Nikesh Shukla and Shimene Suleiman. My next pick is
0: called Kid Gloves. It's by Lucy Nisley. Before I discuss this book, I just want to give a trigger warning that there is discussion of miscarriage and uh, 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 oh my goodness, sorry, Kyle. Let me try this again. I cannot, I cannot do it today. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I, before we get started, I just want to give a trigger warning. There is going to be a discussion of miscarriage and terrible things happening during pregnancy and birth. So if that is something you are sensitive to or if you are pregnant and don't want to hear that right now, uh, you might want to skip ahead. Um, but this is a graphic memoir. Uh, she's she's a, a memoir a cartoonist, I should say. Um, she's done a lot of great books. And this is about her attempt to have a baby with her husband. Uh, she eventually had a son, and he's almost three. Um, and she almost died uh, when she gave birth. And it, so she taught, it's a really important book because she talks not only about like when I was young, I always thought babies were great. And I went to health class, and they tell you like these basic things. And then I thought like they try so hard to keep people from getting pregnant that it must be so easy to get pregnant. And she didn't, and she was she was very upset. Uh, she had a couple of miscarriages, and that was very hard on her. And so she talks about um, a lot of myths and facts pertaining to pregnancy, like all kinds of all kinds of uh, subjects. She talks about miscarriages and how. Here are all the things that they tell you, like, oh, you know, it's your fault because you lifted a heavy object or it's your fault. You know, like, like all these things that are uh, that are just blatantly not true. Like miscarriages don't have anything to do with a lot of the things that people tell you. Um, And and also how one in four pregnancies end in miscarriage. Like people say, like, it doesn't happen very often, but it actually does. Uh, She talks about like birth through history and how um, originally like women were allowed to attend births and the men were not. Uh, there was a man in the in the 1500s, a doctor who dressed as a woman and snuck in to witness a birth, and he was caught and put to death. Like, like men just could not be in there. Uh, but then at some point they decided like men doctors knew more about what was going on than the women, and they stopped letting the women in the rooms. Um, and the, she talks about like natural birth and how uh, you know it's people have been doing it for a very long time. Um, and like for a while people weren't allowed to have like painkillers. There was actually a woman in the 1700s, who gave birth to twins and then was executed for asking for painkillers because they told her that, like, the pain was something like you were supposed to experience, and so to ask for painkillers is just, you know, unheard of. It's just like... Happy
1: birthday! Yeah, there's just, like,
0: all this, like, (laughs) ridiculously insane stuff. She talks about the father of gynecology who is just an absolute monster. I'm not going to go into that. There used to be a statue of him in Central Park. I know they were trying to take it down. Just did awful, terrible things. Um, But, like, how... Today, now, in the, in the 21st century in America, half as many women are giving birth as they did in the 1950s because of birth control, because of having more rights, because of all kinds of reasons, and also more women are dying in childbirth in America than ever before in recorded history. And for lots of reasons, because, uh, insurance is kicking them out of the hospital as soon as they have a baby. Um, because people are, you know, women are, some women feel shamed into trying natural birth or home birth because it's supposed to be this amazing experience. And if you go to the hospital and need, you know, painkillers, like you're not as tough as you're supposed to be. And so women are trying to have home births and things are going wrong, um, I mean, not everyone. Like, she's, you know, she's saying, like, I'm a cartoonist. I'm not a doctor. Like, none of this is, you know, across the board, like, absolutely true for everyone. Like, you could have a home birth and not have any problems, you know. Um, but this is, like, one, of, one more reason why more women are dying in childbirth. Uh, because, you know, doctors aren't listening to women's pain. And she was saying that insurance and treatment for births, like, 95% of it is for the baby. And 5% of it goes into the mother when, when women need more attention after they've given birth. Uh, it's just this tremendously enlightening book. But it's also, like, she's very funny, and her, her illustrations are wonderful, and it's also very sweet because she has a baby. She gets her baby, and yay. So happy ending, you know. But it was just, I mean, I don't have children. I don't plan on having children, but I was just fascinated the whole time. Um, and bravo to all of you that, that do it. So, again, <laughs> that is called Kid Gloves, and it's by Lucy Knisley.
1: I've been wanting to read that one. Um, I am of that age, you know, in my 30s where it just like, seems like all my friends are suddenly popping up either with kids or you're making decisions about kids. Um, and that miscarriage part in particular is something that I have been, I don't know if shocked is the right word to learn, but like, if you just talk to the f- people that you know in your life, you will learn that it is so much more common than we think, as are all the issues you just talked about. It's, it's so crazy. So, yeah, I want to read that.
0: So will you please tell us about our next sponsor?
1: I sure will. So our next sponsor is The Night Tiger by Yang C. Chu. The Night Tiger is a propulsive novel and coming-of-age story um, about a houseboy and a young woman in 1930s Malaysia, each searching for their place in a society that would rather they stay invisible. Kirkus calls this, uh, or says that Chu has written a sumptuous garden maze of a novel that immerses readers in a complex, vanished world. Booklist calls The Night Tiger a work of incredible beauty, astoundingly captivating and striking, a transcendent story of courage and connection. The Night Tiger pulls readers into a world of servants and masters, age old superstition and modern idealism, sibling rivalry and forbidden love. Jilin is a dance hall girl to help pay off her mother's mahjong debts, as one does. But when one of her dance partners accidentally leaves behind a gruesome souvenir, she may finally get the adventure she's been longing for. 11-year-old houseboy Wren is also on a mission to fulfill his former master's dying wish that Ren find the man's finger lost years ago and bury it with his body. Jilin and Wren's dangerous paths crisscross in this dazzling novel, and it's on sale now wherever books are sold. It's so good. I have been meaning to read this. (laughs) The cover is gorgeous and yeah, it sounds pretty great. It's really great. As is your next pick. Yes. I love this next pick so much. Uh, So my next one is Go Ahead in the Rain by Hanif Abdurraqib, who wrote another book that I really love called They They Can't Kill Us Till They Kill Us, I believe, which is a really great commentary on the importance of music and pop culture. I got to meet him at Winter Institute a few weeks ago and got to pick this up a little bit before it went live. And, oh, it's just so great. So Go Ahead in the Rain is kind of a love letter to the group A Tribe Called Quest. And Hanif gets asked all the time, like, well, why A Tribe Called Quest? And his response is always, I love. It's like, well, why not? (laughs) So it is a group that, you know, has meant a lot to him and just so many of us that grew up listening to, like, 90s hip-hop. And the book is... Really a history of the group, it is definitely a love letter, but it's kind of genre bending in that, you know, one minute it goes from talking about the history of the group and then in the next he's writing letters to the band members, all while giving you also kind of a crash course in what the 90s hip hop scene was like, you know, everything from like the East Coast, West Coast kind of battles and what it was like when the group, after having put out, you know, several iconic albums, suddenly just disbanded because of some kind of internal issues their long hiatus, and then their kind of return, which is very secret. They've been recording this album unbeknownst to any of their fans like a smooth 15 years later when they put out, um, what was it called? I think We Got It From Here, Thank You For Your Service, which came out in 2016, an album that has like a really um, kind of activist bent. But again, Hanif's writing is just, it's gorgeous. It's relatable. It's funny. Um, but it's also, again, just like really poignant and the way he captures what music can mean in each of our lives and like what it, literally the moment the what it makes you feel like the minute you hear it the way he reflects on what it was like to listen to stuff on like cassette tapes it's just something that I feel like will give you a lot of visuals and feels uh, whether or not you knew anything or know anything about A Tribe Called Quest so yeah he's he's really great look up the rest of his stuff um, but this one here is Go Ahead in the Rain by Hanif Abdurraqib
0: yeah, I did not know anything about a tribe called Quest except that I had the single for Scenario, which I listened to <laughs> basically until it broke. But that's how old I am. Um, so my last pick for today is actually one that I read a couple of weeks ago uh, and loved, and I just this is also one that I can't stop thinking about, and I wanted to just share it with listeners. Um, I did mention it briefly on. Uh, backlist, I think, last week, Uh, but I just loved it. It is The Atlas of Reds and Blues by Davy S. Lascar. And I do want to give a heads up for this one as well. There is a discussion of violence. There's a very violent act that sort of sets off the book. So I'm going to mention that next. So if you're sensitive to that, um, feel free to skip ahead. Uh, So the book opens uh, with the main character. We don't know her name. She's just sort of referred to as, like, the mother Um, she is lying in her driveway. She has been shot by the police and the whole book is sort of her thoughts about her life as she's laying on the driveway. Um, and as she's thinking about these things, we also get little glimpses into like what the police are saying, like while they're waiting for an ambulance to arrive and like what they're talking about, like, and how they're behaving, like while this woman is laying at their feet. Um, so mother is an Indian American. She's first generation and she's reflecting on the racism that she has experienced for her whole life. Like when she was young, you know, people saying like, you know, go back to where you came from. Um, do you speak English? You know, Oh, you speak English so well. And you know, she tells people like, this is where I'm from. Um, she gets married, she falls in love and she marries a a white man and they move to a huge house. He's very well off. They move to a huge house in Atlanta and he has this amazing job, so he's very rarely there. He's always traveling for work. Uh, so she's, like, there alone, and they have children. She's there just by herself with the kids. Um, they didn't get a welcome at all. Like, none of the neighbors will talk to them, uh, and except that they make complaints, like, about the things that she's doing, like leaving her garage door open too long. Like, this sort of, like, neighborhood that they live in, like, you have to follow these certain rules. Um, so they don't address her, but they do, like, make all these complaints, um, and so now like she's living in this very wealthy neighborhood and people are asking her like when she goes out with her kids because, you know, they're light skinned. She's, they say like, you know, uh, whose children are those? Or are you the nanny? Or when she goes to take her laundry and the, the woman behind the counter is like, you can't, this isn't a daycare. Like you can't leave your children here. And she's just like, uh, I was just bringing my laundry in. Um, and, and, people just keep like saying things like that to her. Um, and she's also talked down to about her weight, like her, uh, family, like her mother and her grandmother, are always giving her a hard time, and her husband's mother is always giving her a hard time about her weight. She works for a newspaper, but she's not given any jobs. Like, she just gets, like, the lousy little assignments. She doesn't get to do anything great. Um, And she's just, like, been dealing with this, like, her whole life. And she's just always very polite, and she doesn't want to cause trouble. And what happens is the police raid her home because they believe her to be someone else, and she's had enough, and she stands up to them, and, and that's where the book starts off. Because they've, they uh, shoot her. Um, It's, it it sounds so depressing. And it, and it is like, when you think about it, like, it's terrible. And I read that the author wrote this based on an event that happened to her. Um, And, but the writing is so gorgeous. And it's, you know, people should read books that make them uncomfortable to, you know, think about, like, you know, what happens to people, like, outside of their own experiences. I mean, it's just, it's, and her, again, her, I cannot say it enough, her writing is so gorgeous. So that is The Atlas of Reds and Blues, and it's by Davy S. Laskar.
1: Alright, that sounds really great too. So my last pick, um, the funny backstory being that at 11 o'clock, the night we were, before we were supposed to originally record this episode, I sent a mad message to Lib, like, eh! books I've been reading for the past two and a half hours was covered by Rebecca two weeks ago. Weird. Um, and then ended up having to like madly read another book really quickly, which is great though, because I've been meaning to read this one. Um, and it is a really sweet middle grade book called Tonight Owl from Dogfish by Holly Goldberg Sloan and Meg Wallitzer. So both of these authors are awesome. Um, I haven't actually gotten a chance to read Holly Goldberg Sloan, but she wrote... Uh, I'll Be There and like Short, among a couple other things. And then we all know Meg Wolitzer of The Interestings. And um, I personally love The Beljar and I think The Female Persuasion. But this is a really great collaboration for this, again, really sweet middle grade novel. It's about these two girls, uh, Avery Bloom and Bette Devlin. Avery is... She's brainy, she's bookish, but she's also like super high anxiety. <laughs> she's like afraid of everything, <laughs> mostly about wa- water and drowning, but she's also just afraid of like anything that could possibly happen to her. Um, her sentences often include stuff like how she's concerned with her cortisol levels that day. And she has a favorite medical supply store, even though she's, you know, 12 years old. And then there's Bet Devlin, who is sort of this like fearless, outgoing rule blaker and an animal lover. And the way these two girls are connected is that Bet Devlin has written email, and that's how this epistolary novel, by the way, starts, where she reaches out to Avery to basically say, hey, found your email on the internet. It's cool, cool, cool. Also, um, both of our single gay dads are dating and haven't told us. And so Avery writes back and is like, um, no, I think you have the wrong person. Like, my dad wouldn't date without telling me, you know, please lose my number sort of thing. <laughs> but... Uh, what we get is a back and forth between the two girls that, you know, eventually they find out through sharing lots of facts and because they're both sort of sleuthy and digging into their dad's businesses that, yeah, um, it is true. Both of them are being raised by single gay dads who met at a convention and they've been dating kind of on the low and didn't want to tell their daughters until they were ready, but of course the daughters found out first. And the other wrinkle here is that the girls discover that they're being sent away for the summer to a camp called Siggy. It's like, well, that's an abbreviation. Um, and while the dads go out or go off for the summer and vacation in China. So then this becomes a little bit of a reverse parent trap where the girls are like, yeah, no, we're going to keep these guys apart. But the back and forth is just so funny because they're 12 year old girls. So in between stuff about like, yeah, like we're going to make sure our dads don't end up together. Cause like my dad has a peanut allergy and he can't be around peanuts. So like, if your dad likes Thai food, he would never be able to have Thai food again. Um, or, you know, their emails will end with stuff like, so how do you feel about lip gloss? (laughs) Like they're just really funny little one-liners that are thrown in, in between all of this planning on their part to like keep their fathers apart. They vow that they're, yeah, going to go to this camp because they haven't been able to stop their dads from sending them, but that they're not going to talk and they're not going to be friends, even though it's clear that that's like what their dad's plans are is for them to meet and hopefully be BFFs so they can eventually, you know, be sisters. Um, Of course, as one might assume, once they get to the camp, everything kind of goes off the rails. Uh, Stuff also kind of goes off the rails with their dads while on this trip. And the girls go from wanting nothing to do with each other to, you know, suddenly forming a friendship over time. This camp is really funny because it is sort of like a science-y for the arts kind of camp. So their classes include stuff like crafts, puppetry, like vegan cooking and some class called genome mitochondria and chloroplasts. Oh my. (laughs) So it's watching the girls kind of go about their business at the actual camp is is really funny too. Um, and it does, it's just a really sweet story. I don't, I didn't see the ending coming. Maybe you will, but it's, it doesn't go exactly where you think it is, but it's just a really, again, like sweet, cute, and very funny story of these two girls from different parts of the country who, again, it's kind of like a reverse parent trap and then real parent trap, (laughs) um, but all communicated via emails to one another. And I think some occasional letters to la- lastly, take one last trip to like Vanessa's audio book corner. This, I started on audio and had to switch to print because again, it is being told via email. So in the beginning the you know, the subject is you don't know me. And then the second one is re you don't know me. And by the time you are done with this book, like you, the the character, the audio, pardon me, the uh, narrators are literally going, re, 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 re. And I mean, after like 30 re's, I was just like, yeah, basta, no puedo. like And I, I ended up having to switch to print. <laughs> so if you can get over that little bit, you know, hey, go with, again, you're fine. <laughs> but it, literally it's before each passage, <laughs> it can go up to like 30 seconds of them just saying re <laughs> before they actually get to the text. And I just couldn't get past it. But other than that, again, such a sweet, Sweet book, a really funny book that I cannot wait to recommend to people who need a really solid middle grade in their life. So that's Two Night Owl from Dogfish by Holly Goldberg Sloan and Meg Wolitzer.
0: All right. So those are our new books. What are you going to read next?
1: Ooh, um my life is kind of weird right now because I am on an Indies introduced panel where we're picking, you know, some books to kind of talk about that are debut. So I'm reading a lot of a sign reading that I can't talk about. But I think I'm gonna maybe go back and pick up a book that I pressed pause on, which is that new Jasper Four that I'm only like halfway through. Uh, Early Riser, I think. Oh, yes. so so good. I just had had to put it on pause so I could do my assigned reading. <laughs> so probably
0: that. Yeah, I got to do Indies Introduce a few years ago. It was so much fun. Oh, it's they great. Like, they're like, you're the first person that's actually read all of the books all the way through. I was like, I can't have some more. <laughs> like, it was of such a great time. Um, so. Uh, and also, Early Riser is amazing. I think I talked about it when it came out. Yes, I did. Yeah, uh, Love that book. Um, I'm actually... So, I think I've talked about this in like three newsletters now. I don't know that I've talked about it in the podcast, so I'm going to talk about it right now. Uh, I am obsessed with a book coming out in September called Gideon the Ninth by Ta- by Tamson Muir. It's coming out from Tor Books. I have never read a book like this. It's insane. It would take me like ten days to explain to you everything that's going on in this book. <laughs> But it's just like, I'll sum it up like this, because this is what hooks everybody. This is what sells it. Lesbian necromancers in space, in a haunted mansion. It's like a (laughs) locked room mystery. It's like, it's just, there's a a council, an emperor, there's like nine different houses on these different planets, and he brings them all together uh, because he wants them to do battle or like figure out these puzzles, and whoever does it gets to be immortal, And rule beside him or, you know, be his left hand or whatever. And so Gideon is this really um, cranky, funny uh, swordswoman. And she hates uh, the woman who is the leader of their planet, Harrow. It's like her nemesis. And she is, Harrow is a necromancer and a bone witch. There are so many skeletons and bones and just crazy stuff going on in this book um, so she takes Gideon with her to this sort of weird haunted building uh, to try and become, you know, immortal. And I, I'm not doing it justice. i have It's just insane. There's monsters. There's murder. theres It's gross. It's sweet. It's funny. I mean, it's just insane. I've read it two times now. I'm in okay. the middle of reading it a third time. I'm going to dress up as Gideon for Halloween. I don't even like Halloween. Like, it, just mark this book down because you're going to want to read it. It is called Gideon the Ninth, and it's by Tamson Muir. So, and I will talk about it 500 more times between now and then.
1: <laughs> I literally just wrote that down. That sounds so amazing.
0: <laughs> oh, my goodness. I, I just, I can't even, it's, I've never read anything like it.
1: And that's so. saying something for you. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so. Yes. <laughs> so, that is all for today. Thank you to our sponsors. You can go to Audible. Uh, to, you can, or you can get Audible, go to bookriot.com slash Audible to sign up for a free trial and get two free audiobooks. Thank you to Blinkist, that's B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com slash books. You can start your free seven-day trial. And thank you to The Night Tiger by Yang C. Chu. Uh, you can find that now wherever books are sold. Uh, you, if you want to drop us a line or ask me more questions about getting in the ninth, you can... Find us at all the books at bookriot.com. You can send us an email. Uh, you can find us on Instagram. Vanessa is Buenos Dias, B u e n o s d i a z s d, And I am friends and Comes Alive. I just spend so much more time on Instagram now than Twitter. Just like I'm just going to start using that handle, I think. Um, and if you want to give us a rating or review to help other book lovers find us, we'd appreciate it. You can go to Apple Podcasts and do that. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books out today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime,
1: happy happy reading. reading.